Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. Hey, Jeff, I got something new recently. Ooh, this is a good time to get new things. It is. It's an iPod, a camera, and an internet communicator. iPod, a camera, and an internet communicator. I'm not getting it. What is it? Really? (laughs) (laughs) It's the new iPhone 14 Pro Ultra Max Extra Plus. (laughs) Yeah, I was just, for those who don't understand, I was riffing on Steve Jobs' first presentation of the iPhone where he said, it's an iPod, a phone, and an internet communicator. (laughs) And I like the internet communicator. What does that even mean? Oh, yeah. Right? And like today, would you even say it's a phone? Because we don't, I mean... I make phone calls, but it's more often FaceTime and messages and Zoom and everything. Yeah. Well, phone has just now become the word for that thing that you carry. It's no longer the word for the thing you use to speak with, which I think is fascinating. The word originally was telephone. That was the original word. That's right. And it had a dial and it had a handset that you would hang up on a little thing, which is why you talk about hanging up a phone call. Isn't it interesting how this language is going to persist? Oh, yeah. People still say dial a number and hang up a phone call. Yeah. And also, uh, I remember having a super, super long phone cord so that the phone that was in the kitchen, yes. I could take into the living room if I needed to. And yep. uh, we saw that on a TV show recently. And... My child was like, what in the hell is all that? (laughs) (laughs) I remember when we first got a touch-tone phone. Oh, yeah. That was a big deal. That was a big deal. But what's curious about these phones, uh, here we are reminiscing about talking on the phones. Um, We can also take some pictures with them. Have you taken any pictures on your new internet communicator? I have taken pictures with my new iPod and internet communicator. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to just come out and say it right away. I think this is a game changer for cameras on the iPhone. Um, uh, We've been discussing this and you've seen some stuff on Facebook, et cetera. I'm impressed by the quality of these photos more than I've ever been on an iPhone. I've always made the distinction between a smartphone camera and a air quote, real camera. Mm -hmm. And this has reached the stage that it can compete with a real camera. There are certainly limitations and we'll discuss some of them. Um, One of them is you just don't have as many choices for lenses. And the only camera, because remember when we're talking about a camera as a device, it actually has three cameras, which are the three lenses and only one of them, which is the normal Uh, What they're calling the main camera that used to be the wide camera is the only one with 48 megapixels. But those 48 megapixels, uh, you know, I compare it to my Leica uh, Q2 monochrome, which has 47 megapixels. It's very similar. The amount that I can crop on those photos is amazing. Now, I'm not getting the same amount of detail with the iPhone photos because it's a color sensor. So it doesn't have the detail of a monochrome sensor when you crop really tight. But... I'm just stunned. The The first weekend I got it, I went out and took some photos and I was stunned when I saw how good they were. Yeah. And I think part of this too is that at some point we knew that there were going to be more megapixels in the iPhone. It, just generationally, it just made sense that it would happen. And I think at least – well, personally, I was – preparing myself to be a little disappointed because you'd have more megapixels. But you have to remember that they're 
smaller megapixels packed into a smaller sensor. We talked about this a little bit in our episode a couple of weeks ago. We'll put a link in the show notes uh, just about the technical specifics before we had the phones in hand. And so the expectation was, yes, this is an improvement, but you're still talking about physics. You have small small apertures, small everything. And so how would that actually – Compare And I have been legitimately amazed at some of the shots that I've gotten. Even, even the ones that aren't full 48 pixel resolution are coming out quite nice. And at least for me, I sort of expected this to be a pretty good upgrade from the iPhone 13 Pro, which I thought was a really good upgrade from before. And this is a lot more than I expected. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at my, I I have a bunch of um, smart albums in the Photos app so I can see my different cameras and lenses and everything and what I've shot. I was never that impressed with the iPhone 13 Pro. It takes some good photos, but it's not as good in, I don't want to say every situation, but there's a lot of situations where it's not that great, particularly the ultra wide camera I found was pretty bad. Um, but with the 14, I'm just amazed that with the exception of some really weird distortion on the ultra wide camera, um, I took some shots. We went to a town called Broadway. It's about 10 miles from here. Um, it's a town where all it's, there's a big long street, a broad way where all the buildings are in this yellowish Cotswold limestone. So it's very photogenic. And whenever I took a photo with the ultra wide, when I was pointing at buildings on the same side of the road, right? They were all distorted and the people were all distorted Mm. and it's really not good. For for a distant shot, for a landscape, okay. If you're in a room with a bunch of people and you want to use that to take photos, they're going to look all twisted around the edges. Yeah. It's a pretty extreme, extreme view, but it can make some really nice shots. And the the, the macro capability of it is, um, I I think, a little bit better than, than what we had before, which is still pretty good. Yeah, I'm just looking at some of my photos. And so we're going to put some of these into the show notes. And one of the ones that I really like is this picture of some hedges in front of one of these buildings in um, Broadway. Now, I shot this at 48 megapixels and I cropped it to, let's see, 4,000 by 2,600. So that's about cropped by half. And it's still got amazing detail in it. Yeah. In fact, here's one thing that I'm noticing I'm having trouble just being able to look at something and telling whether it's a 48 megapixel shot. And I think that is a good indication of of the quality both in its 12 uh, megapixel pixel binned version or if you're shooting raw wide in 48 megapixels because actually I would not have known that this shot of yours that you'd cropped it in. Yeah, a lot of the photos that I've put in the folder, so you've got some photos that you're going to put up in the show notes, a lot of them have been cropped. Uh, One hasn't been cropped, the one of the church, so that's a pure 48 megapixel. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at it here in the Photos app, and it looks really crisp, and the colors are just right, and everything just seems really balanced. I, I did hardly any edits to any of these photos other than cropping them, maybe changing the exposure a little bit, um, as one tends to do with raw files. Sure, yeah. But- I'm just amazed by the quality of these 48 megapixel photos and even the 12 megapixel photos. 
Um, so you can choose in the camera settings. So you go to the settings app and then camera. You can choose whether you want the raw photos to be 48 megapixels or 12 megapixels. Uh, the difference is this one of the church is 81 megabytes. So if you're going to be doing a lot of 48 megapixel photos, we discussed this mm-hmm. in our previous episode, it's going to take up a lot of space. So you might not always want to do 48, but you want to have that option to be able to do it when you want to. So I would suggest that everyone just put it to 12 if they're serious about photography and they want to do raw photos, put it to 12. But be aware that when you want to do something, particularly if you're going to need to crop a lot, up it to 48. Mm -hmm. Don't do anything in burst mode with 48 megapixels. First of all, it won't go very quickly. You won't get a lot of photos because it takes time to read the sensor and write it to the iPhone storage. Yeah, there's definitely a delay when you're shooting the 48 megapixels, which was actually a little bit of a surprise because everything has always been so fast on the iPhone. And this time you notice it. You you hit the shutter button and it has to spin a little bit as it saves it because it's also doing the processing. It, you know, this is a, a pro raw image and therefore it's it's doing all of its computational photography on all of that. So it's doing a lot. So I mean, you know, it, it's not it's not interminable. It takes like maybe a second, two seconds or so. Yeah. So me personally. I'm just going to keep it at 48 megapixels and what I'm trying to okay. do is be more uh, conscious of of when I'm shooting in RAW and when I'm shooting in JPEG because before I would just leave it in RAW and then every photo that I took was RAW and yeah. because of the, the size limitation and because like you just really don't need 48 megapixels all the time, I'm trying to train myself to make a note, oh, is – the raw turned on for this. Okay, I need to be more deliberate about shooting in raw for this situation. And, and in fact, one of the things that I almost did and something saved me, I, I had to return my previous phone because I am on the Apple upgrade program. So I get the new one and the iPhone 13 Pro goes back. I put it in the box that they sent me, took it to FedEx, and I just took a little snapshot of the label so I could have the tracking number, right? And then I was, I was realizing, oh, did I just take a 48 megapixel, 100 <laughs> megabyte image of a FedEx tracking label? And it turns out that I didn't because this is another thing that we have to keep in mind. If you are in a, a lower light situation or night mode, it will just automatically do 12 megapixels. Okay. So that it's it's taking advantage of the the pixel binning to get some more light. And so I ended up with a okay. 12, 12 megapixel raw file of a FedEx <laughs> label. Which is still 25 megabytes or whatever. <laughs> it still so is, yeah. If you yeah. do a lot of those, it's going to take up a lot of space. Yeah, yeah. So as soon as I've confirmed that they received it, I'll, I'll delete that image. But I find that I'm having to be more deliberate about the format that I'm shooting in with that in mind. Now – you know, I I actually got a 512 gigabyte model of the iPhone uh, this time. I I have been using just the 256, and that's been perfectly fine. And so, I think in practical terms, I don't need to pay that much attention to it. But again, I want to be a little bit more deliberate. I don't need to shoot massively high megapixel images all the time. 
And you'll want to keep that in mind when maybe you're in a situation where you do want something that's going to shoot faster. You are going to do a burst mode. I just got the 128 gigabyte version and I've always just had the base model of iPhone storage and it's only half full and I'm not worried. If I take a lot of photos, I cull them, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not staying in my photos library in iCloud. I just want to mention a tip. You were talking about a trade-in and taking a photo. I want to mention a tip that I got from someone at Apple a couple of weeks ago. I was trading in an old iPhone and an old Apple Watch to Apple, and I got the mailers for both of them at the same time, so I didn't know which was which. So I had to call up Apple and give them the numbers on the label so they could tell me. And the woman said, I want to give you a tip. You may not have thought of this, but take a photo of the device when you put it into the into the, the packaging, just in case sometimes the company that checks them for the trade-in might say that it's not in good condition. And if you have a photo, you call us back and we'll take care of it. That is obvious and brilliant. And now I wish I had done that. Exactly. And I never thought of it before either. <laughs> well, I, I actually got bit by that because when I traded in my MacBook Pro last year, there was a, a ding on the case that I wasn't even aware of. And uh, the, the company that does the trade-in, it's, it's not directly Apple, they said, yeah. oh, yeah, no, you, you don't get anything uh, for this because it's got this, this damage to it. Um, and that – if I had just taken pictures and known about it, that would have helped. Yep. But yeah, so great idea. Useful tip. Great idea. Yeah. So in practice, have you noticed anything different other than the fact you've got more megapixels and it's a little bit slower? One of the things that I find is you, you don't have to learn anything new except just to be aware of these megapixels. The the one new thing is you have the 2x zoom. So there's a the 1x main camera, the 0.5x ultra wide, the 3x telephoto, and the 2x, which is using the 48 pixels but cropping it to give you an optical zoom at 2x. And that's really clever. So you have an additional zoom. You have four zoom levels, four optical zoom levels um, with only three cameras. And that's pretty cool. Other than that, though, there's nothing really different about using it, is there? Not that I've seen. And in fact, uh, one of the things about the 2X that I've, I've really forgotten to even test at all is um, wondering how that reacts in, say, a low-light situation. Because 2X, the idea is it's taking 48 megapixels and it's cropping it down to 12 megapixels. Uh, but if there's low light, it may be shooting in 12 megapixels and then... Uh, giving you well, and then maybe upsampling. I don't really know what's what's happening there, and that may be worth doing some testing. Yeah, but again, the whole point of this is you don't really think about oh, am I doing optical? Am I doing uh, digital zoom or whatever? Because it's just oh, now I have this other focal length, which is quite nice to alternate between. Yeah. And you can always zoom further than that. I think you can go up to 15X on the Pro, but only 6X on the plain iPhone 14 models. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, we're, we're 15 minutes in and none of us <laughs> has a lot to say other than like, wow, this is a really good camera. Um, I kind of thought we'd have tons of things to say, but we're both looking at each other here trying to find what to say. Do you want to talk about some of your photos? Um, sure. The thing that stands out is just it's it's doing a great job with detail. And even with the, the telephoto lens or the 48 megapixel wide lens when you're shooting in that, if you look in the 
folder that I have of, of images. I have a few that are that are labeled grass. And this was the one time that I really set about trying to do any sort of comparison shooting because I don't know. You can find. Oh, I thought you were doing some recreational activity. <laughs> different, different kind of grass. <laughs> yes. You can find all sorts of comparisons on YouTube and online, and it's that that's great. I just didn't feel like it was necessary for us to be completely comprehensive about that. But I have uh, a few examples. So there's there's one that's a 48 megapixel. There's one that's 12 megapixel using the telephoto lens, and then I also took a shot. Uh, using the iPhone 13 Pro using the wide lens. And there's also one that I shot with my Fuji X100V. And if I and which film simulation did you use on that? Uh, I think just a standard one. I don't think I, I have the a... The Provia. The Provia, yeah. I, I have to say that that one looks better color-wise. Color-wise, it, it and does look better. And that's the Fujifilm color advantage. Mm-hmm. The iPhone ones look good. I think one thing that I've noticed is things tend to be a little more yellow with these images in general. Uh, okay. Especially when you're looking at something like like this. So so for, for people who, who aren't looking at this, uh, go to the show notes or make sure that you are uh, listening in an app that will show images like Overcast or Apple uh, Podcasts. And make sure you're not driving while you do this. <laughs> make sure you're not driving while you're doing this. So on a, a walk that I typically take, which is in a park in Seattle, it's it's by the water and there's basically just some dry yellow grass and behind it there's a little bit of a pier and then you've got Puget Sound beyond that. And I think when you have shots that have a lot of sky, so this is late afternoon, there's no – like dramatic sunset. It's it's not like that. But there's there's some clouds in the sky. There's a little bit of color in the sky. And the whole thing just has a yellowish vibe to it. And it, I think just in a small way, I'm noticing that a lot of the iPhone photos have a little bit more of a warm tone to them. Now, I haven't experimented with maybe setting uh, like one of the photographic styles and trying mm. to compensate for that. I've just you been mean trying the, to shoot. The feature that's been out for a couple of years that no one uses? Exactly. That same one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I hadn't noticed the yellowness, but as I'm looking at my photos, um, I'm seeing a lot that do look yellow. Now, these shots in Broadway have this yellowish limestone. Yeah. But the one of the church, the grass looks yellower than it should be. Even though the grass is brown, but it's the green that looks a bit yellower. What I noticed is that the blues tend to be quite blue. Mm-hmm. That it seems to be going heavy on the cyan. Yeah, in a lot of the photos that I shot. Yeah, it's not a huge deal. And in fact, this is this is kind of a thing with photography too. With any camera, you'll have characteristics of the sensor or. Uh, characteristics of the lens that you're using. So I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that it's bad. It's just something that, that that I've noticed. I think the iPhone cameras tend to, like from generation to generation, have different levels of their their white balance. That's that's the default. Mm. It's not bad by any means. Well, is the Space Needle 
white or is it yellowish? Mm, that is a very good question. Because in your photo, it's clearly – in the close-up photo, it's clearly yellowish in the detail. Um, I believe it is slightly yellowish. Okay. Um, the only way to test this would be with a white card. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, with the right kind of light around, like, you know, pure daylight rather than electronic light. But, yeah, now that you mention it, I am seeing this a little bit. And and actually, I should also point out, uh, it's been smoky up here due to wildfires. And so, right. so that – Yes. That's actually probably also adding to the, the, the yellow cast to it. I forgot all about that. Yeah. Um, I just want to highlight there's one photo that I converted to black and white that I put in the folder. I just want to highlight that I, I think the black and white conversions you can make with this camera are really good. And this is a photo that was cropped down to about 12 megapixels. Mm. And this is a photo I shot with the 2x zoom. So it shows up as a 48 millimeter uh, lens in the EXIF data. So this is only a 12 megapixel. And the detail in this is surprising, the contrast that I was able to get. And obviously, there was a little bit of editing because I had to convert it to black and white. Mm -hmm. But the ability to get this from an iPhone, this is far better than what you usually get. Uh, I'm just looking at my edits. The only things I did were change the black and white um, conversion settings and photos. I didn't do anything to exposure or highlight shadows or anything at all. Hmm. One of the things that I'm noticing without my own experience but uh, in some of the other shots is I think the low light and night mode features have improved, which you know have, have always been pretty good. But I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, Russell Preston Brown, who uh, is longtime Adobe guy. In fact, he – I think was on the original team to make Photoshop. He posted a picture of a lighthouse and the Milky Way, you know, and star fields yes. that was just shot using the iPhone 14 Pro on a tripod. So it did the the 30 second exposure, and um, just as a refresher, when you're doing a long exposure on the iPhone, it's not actually just keeping the shutter open for 30 seconds. It's basically taking 30 seconds to capture a whole bunch of different images and then blending them together. But right. all of that said, this is kind of an amazing shot because you have – like it, it's very obviously the Milky Way and stars and a lighthouse. And the fact that he got this from a phone was really quite amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think this is – I said before, it's a game changer. I think we're going in new directions. Now, I was just looking at some Google phones earlier today and the Pixel 6 something already has 50 megapixels. We don't really pay attention to Android phones, but there are a lot of Android phones that have had – I think there's one that has 108 megapixels, but it's like <laughs> a trick to you to get – Extra megapixels or something? Yeah. I don't know how it – It's funny. It's it's some Samsung model and actually as soon as Apple released this, they came out with some ads talking about how you know they've had 100 megapixels for a year or whatever. Uh, but from what I understand, all of their images are pixel binned. So yes, you technically have 108 megapixels of resolution, but you're only ever going to get – 25, 26 megapixel images, something like that. Which is still better than what the iPhone had before. Still, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But it's just – it's it's another one of those technology numbers things where 
you're, you know, yeah. someone has more megapixels or whatever. And I think that's why Apple's 48 megapixel is surprising me because it's not just a numbers thing. The quality is I don't backing know. I've it seen, up. Uh, again, we don't pay a lot of attention, but I've seen some people with photos from uh, Android phones, particularly Google phones that are quite impressive. I'm just looking at the um, specs for the 6 Pro now. I believe Google's announcing new phones on Thursday, so this is going to be last year's model. Mm. It's got a 50-megapixel wide camera, so that's the main camera, a 12-megapixel ultra-wide, and a 48-megapixel telephoto. Mm. Now, I can see Apple upping the megapixels on the telephoto next year for next year's model. Uh, That would be really good because then with the telephoto at three times and the ability to crop, you're getting a lot further. Yeah. Yeah. I also wonder, and pure speculation, but could it be that Apple's inclusion of just one 48 megapixel sensor, could that have been because of supply chain issues that have bedeviled the industry over the last two years? Could we have gotten 48 megapixel sensors on all three of the of the cameras? You know, I don't think we'll ever see it on all three of them. I don't think it's really necessary. Um, One thing I do want to point out that the Google Pixel 6 has an LDAF sensor. Do you know what that means? No. Laser detect autofocus measures how close your subject is to the phone to help keep them in focus for low light photos. Oh, that's cool. Now, uh, the iPhone does that with LiDAR. Mm -hmm. Is that the same thing as LDAF? You know what? It probably is. Yeah. Just with a different, yeah. Lasers, man. Freaking lasers. (laughs) <laughs> but does the iPhone have a LiDAR on all the cameras? The LiDAR is its own little little laser emitter. And so I, I think all the cameras can use the LiDAR, but it's worth noting that it's only being used in uh, low-light situations. Right. It's not trying to do it in in Yes, night mode portraits bright. is what the, spe- the specs say. I think it would be better if it was doing it more often because I've taken a few cat photos where the cat is out of focus, but something right by the cat is in focus. Mm -hmm. Now, it doesn't have face detect for pets, which it should by now, but it seems that when you're dealing with the kind of wide angle lens that it's using, that you should get better depth of field. I'm going to drop one in the folder right now for you to look. A picture of Rosalind the cat. Um, sitting by her water bowl. She likes to sit by her water bowl. And it focused on the water bowl and it didn't focus on Rosalind, who was just inches behind it. Mm. And it's very clear that she's out of focus and just the front edge of the water bowl is in focus. Now, I don't know if it was, it's not a portrait mode photo. So I don't know why it didn't get the depth of field that I think it should have had at that sort of photo. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah. It's the, that's the only photo that's disappointed me is that. And again, the ultra wide lens, um, I'm dropping another photo. I should have dropped all these photos in before. I'm just putting another one in uh, to show you this is 3491 to show you what it looks like when I was taking a picture of a building, as I said, on the same side of the street. It's really quite strange. Yeah, lots of lots of distortion there. Yeah. And distortion that is reparable if you're shooting raw um, in a photo editing app that gives ways to fix distortion. Interestingly, we have a couple of episodes about fixing distortion that we'll link to in the show notes. 
What a good idea. Um, but it was surprising to see that it was this distorted. Now, maybe it was like this before. It's not, I didn't use the ultra wide much in the past. So, mm-hmm. I have a question about one of your images. Okay. You have a shot that has, uh, it's the top of a roof and it looks like, like a, a wolf or something that's been made out of straw and wire. Yeah, this is a thatched cottage in the village, and they often put animals on the top of the roof. And this one looks like it's a fox um, running across the top of the roof. Right across the street, there's another one with a cat and a dog on top of the roof. I love the shot, and I love the actual fox itself. And so I'm curious, was this shot with the telephoto, or did you shoot the a 48 megapixel and crop way in? Because there's a ton of detail there. Yeah, so this is with the telephoto, the 77 millimeter, mm-hmm. and it's not cropped. So it's 12 megapixels on the 3X telephoto. That's And great. I, in my opinion, the telephoto is a lot better than it was in the past as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I would also agree uh, from the ones that I've, that I've tried. Uh, but what we haven't mentioned yet is, is the thing that you've probably tested the most. The selfie camera is improved. <laughs> I have never taken a selfie. I know. I once had I once had a friend who visited who took a selfie with me I and know. gave me the copy of the photo. I just why do I want to take a picture of myself? Exactly. No. That's that's exactly why I brought it up. Um I, I have taken a couple of selfies. The big improvement here is that it has autofocus, which I think I and everyone else in the world said it didn't have autofocus before. I guess it does now. It seems fine. Um, actually, I, I did a, a portrait image of my wife and I after we got our, our, our vaccines. and Yes, I saw that on Facebook. It looks really good on the phone, but I did notice like when it was blown up on computer screen, uh, it had more artifacts than I expected just from the, the, the artificial background blur. And it seemed a little over sharpened. So I'm not really sure if that's – uh, just yeah, the phone I'm processing, at it now and it, this really shows up on your beard. Yeah, that it's over. Really, really shows up on the beard, beard and hair. So, yep. so I think I think Apple might be a little aggressively working on those. People want to look better in selfies, so yeah, that's true. You know, it's important to them. The selfie camera is really important to people younger than us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Do we have snapshots? Do you have snapshots? Do you have a snapshot? Do I go first today? Sure. Why don't you go first today? I can go first. I every I always buy a case for my iPhone, and I originally ordered Apple's clear MagSafe case, which is what I had for the iPhone 13. But once I realized that this is a real camera and I'm going to be using it as a camera, I bought the Peak Design Everyday case, Ooh. which has a space where you can connect one of those little Peak Design anchors to. And I have a Peak Design cuff, and I actually bought the new model of the Peak Design cuff because it's got that magnet. So when it's not connected to the camera, you can connect the clasp to the thing so it doesn't get in the way. Oh, cool. I hadn't seen that. Yep. And so this is now my camera when I go out. Uh, and I don't have a camera, or if I'm out and I've got my Leica monochrome, this is my color camera if I don't want to bring two cameras. And because I was thinking when we were in Broadway taking photos, I take the camera out of my pocket, case is a little bit slippery, I'm really careful, Mm -hmm. and I don't drop my phone often, but if I'm going to be using this more as a camera, I want that possibility. Um, This case is 46 pounds here, so it's a little bit cheaper than Apple's case. It's a sort of textile thing 
Um, it's MagSafe. I want to say textile, kind of nylon. It's it's a rough finish, so it's mm-hmm. easy to grip. Um, and it's got, I, I want to say, a half inch more space on the bottom where you can tie a Peak Design anchor to fit it in. So I'm just leaving the anchor on all the time. And whenever I need to take a photo, I've got my Peak Design cuff in my my bag that I carry with me, and I'm all set. Yeah. When my wife and I were in Europe this summer, one of the things that she really wished she had was some sort of a of a wristband or something to hold her phone because she doesn't have like a regular uh, camera camera. So she took all of her pictures with her iPhone and – for the most part, it's fine, but there are some times when you're leaning over a bridge in Venice and you don't want to drop your phone, and it would be nice to to be able to have that lashed onto your wrist somehow. Yeah, so so it's a good option. Um, if you don't have a Peak Design cuff, I think it was twenty six pounds. So you're talking seventy odd pounds, seventy dollars ish. Yeah, for the for the pair of them together. And I'll also point out that Peak Design they've built the, an ecosystem of phone stuff, and so. You could then have that and there are MagSafe chargers and a wallet and there's actually a super cool portable tripod that you can use, although I never actually used it. I got like a a pre-production set a couple of years ago when they were working on this. I got to try it out and I wrote about it a little bit on my blog. Now that you have that, you can take advantage of a bunch of different things like a bicycle mount and things like that. Yeah, there's a little square space on the back that they mount into. Um, I looked at these and I didn't really see any use. I mean, I've got uh, wireless chargers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've I've got the Apple Wallet actually, which I never use. I only bought it to write about it at one point to do an article. Yeah. Um, the the idea of I don't ride a bicycle. The idea of having a car mount I don't need. Um, it's true that that little tripod could be worth getting just to have around. Um, but none of these things actually grabbed me mm-hmm. as essential. Um, the tripod's more expensive than the case. So yeah. I'm not really sure if I want to spend for that rather than get something else. But uh, I'll see. What's nice is they have a pretty broad range of things for somebody who may need one or two of these other things. And because it's also compatible with the MagSafe system, right? you know, it, it completely works. Um, we've been big fans of Peak Design for a long time, so. Yeah, we both have Peak Design sling bags, don't we? Yes. Yes, we do. That's my bag of choice now. Okay, what have you got this week? For my snapshot, I want to highlight a book. So Pete Souza has a new book out. Uh, Pete was the chief White House photographer during the Obama administration. And his book is called The West Wing and Beyond, What I Saw Inside the Presidency. And what's great about this book, and especially for me, because I like behind-the-scenes stuff and I'm really intrigued by you know the White House and the presidency and just like all the stuff that makes that work. And that's what this book is. There are maybe four or five shots that have Obama in it and you never actually really see him. He's either blurred out on the edges or he's behind someone or it's the back of his head. And it's really about here's what happens in this building. So it's got sections on the West Wing, the Oval Office, uh, the Situation Room – all the way down to talking about the the butlers and the chefs and all of these pieces that make this presidency run. It then 
goes on to talk about the security bubble and what it's like to be in the whole Secret Service protection when they go overseas. And it's just, A, it's Pete Souza. And so his images are compelling. There are a lot of good detail character images. There's one image that pops out to me, which is in the Situation Room, and you have Samantha Power, who I believe was the ambassador for the United Nations, and she's just gripping her arm. But all you see is from behind, like her arm and then her, her hand or their hand gripping that. And it's, it's just a tight crop on there. And it just conveys that sense of, look, there's important stuff going on. I think it, it mentioned that she was in a, a meeting having to do with, with Iraq. So, you know, obviously high-level things. And so you get a sense of the, the, the tension as well as the mechanics of what happens in the White House. And I just found it fascinating. What I find interesting is how much this looks like the scenery from the West Wing TV series. In other <laughs> words, how much the TV series got right about the specific positioning of doors and windows and desks and everything yeah. um, in, in the spaces that you would see often in the TV series. Uh, I didn't realize, that, you know, I just always assumed, well, they just made it up. Uh, obviously, you know that the Oval Office is oval and you know what it looks like. Sure. But there's all sorts of other rooms that they that look exactly like they do in this book. Yeah, yeah. Although it, it's funny because uh, Pete Souza has pointed out that all the other stuff, like like the office space, you know, where, where everybody – like none of that is real. From from the West Wing because most everything yeah. else has no windows, cramped spaces. You can hear rats in the in the ceiling. The big signature rooms, those definitely. Even that space right by the entrance to the West Wing. Yes, right where there's often things going on there. Mm -hmm. um, the position of the desk and the window and the doors coming in is exactly the way it was. So they must have paid a lot of attention. For whatever reason, because we didn't know that when we saw it. Yeah, right. But they paid a lot of attention to that detail, which is nice. So again, it's West Wing and Beyond, what I saw inside the presidency. Uh, hardcover, it's about $35. Kindle's $22. Um, and it's just – it's nicely Don't put get together. The get the hardcover. Get the hardcover, yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, Kindles for photography books are not great. Yeah, yeah, good point. All right, that's enough until next time. That's enough until next time. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.